Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great job. Thanks very much. We're going to get into um, uh, those words in in just a moment. It's a funny time, isn't it? Did you watch um, Parliament yesterday? Were you glued to it all yesterday morning? Uh, It it, it doesn't matter, really, uh, what political persuasion you are or, or what you thought was a good idea back then or whether you still think it's a good idea now. Um... We're in a bit of a muddle, aren't we? And, and whatever, whatever we all thought back then, none of us uh, and no one now wants this. This isn't quite where we wanted uh, to be. So let's pause together to pray. Um, I don't know what you feel like you'd like to pray for this morning. Um, I guess I want to pray for some wisdom this morning. Uh, uh, if we lack wisdom, the Bible says we can ask for it. And we'll be given it. We need uh, wisdom. Uh, those that uh, have responsibility. And uh, it's easy for us, isn't it, to um, criticize and to um, say things. Uh, but imagine the weight of responsibility for those that carry it. Uh, they need wisdom. Uh, we, we want truth and justice. Whatever else, we want to be really good neighbors, don't we? Love your neighbor as yourself, whatever that means. And uh, that sense of love and mercy and justice and a country that comes together, not a people that are pulling themselves apart. And I, I know that song that we sang just a moment ago is kind of wicked hard to sing, isn't it? Uh, hear our cry, O King of Heaven. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, Jesus, hope to every heart. Jesus, you are our hope in the complexity of our lives. You are our hope. We are lost without your glory. We are lost without you, God. Only you can move the mountains. Only you can heal our land. Christ alone, our hope and glory. Christ alone, in you we stand. And so we pray today. We pray today for mercy and justice to flow like rivers and righteousness like a never-failing stream. We pray for wisdom, for insight, for understanding. We pray for clarity of communication and of decision-making. And we pray that whatever happens politically, that our love and commitment as neighbors both within our own country and beyond would transcend. That in years gone by, this nation a bright light to the world in different ways. With all the confusion of that, with all the less than perfectness of that, We pray again that something of the truth and love and light of Jesus would just flow through this land afresh. 
that we would be in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus, a beacon of hope and faith and love that gospel good news would fill our towns and cities. That we join the prayer of the ancients that you would revive us, O Lord. That you would restore us, O Lord. That we may live in your presence. Amen. Just as we come to to dive into these verses, I'm going to ask Margaret to come and uh, share with us for a moment. And... uh, uh, just a story that's come out of, the, out of this series as we think about what it means to be uh, out there, not as outsiders, but as outliers. So keep your finger in 1 Peter 5 and we'll dig into it uh, just after we've listened to Margaret. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, I love people's stories. I don't love so much being up here telling one, but I love hearing other people's stories. So, yeah. Um, And I don't know about you, but I imagine that you, like me, are somebody who wants to make a difference. That one of the reasons for living, our reasons for living, is to make a difference. Uh, To to bring more love, or to bring peace, or uh, to encourage, or to make a difference in some way to other people. Um, In my life, I find that small acts of kindness... Make a huge difference. You know, it's just the unexpected kind thing that really touches your heart and blesses you and makes you think, makes you understand that God loves you and He's looking after you. So, um, I belong to a book group, and in my book group are eight women. And uh, we meet to read a book every month, and the men meet to eat cheese. <laughs> The husbands meet and eat cheese, and the women read books. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of our group um, was getting slim. I mean, she was getting pretty slim. And we noticed, and, you know, there was you know, nobody made a comment. We probably thought she was cutting out the carbs. Anyway, a bit later, we got an email saying that... Uh, she hadn't been able to keep food down for two months and she'd been t- to the hospital and the diagnosis was very um, grave. And, um, you know, when that happens and it's a friend, somebody you've known for years and, you know, years and years, you feel so sad and helpless inside. You feel, you know, you feel moved and you feel sad for them and you... And all you want to do is something to help. And um, so we all got together and we gang together and we bought her a present and we took, I took it round and I gave her a hug and I said, you know, um, I'm going to be praying for you. And um, we heard nothing. She went, disappeared. So we sent emails and texts and nothing came back. And she just disappeared out of our lives. And... Um, I was sitting having my quiet time one morning and often, well, not always, but sometimes at the end of my quiet time, I say to God, what one thing could I do today to make a difference? 
I think I heard Simon saying that once, and I thought, what a good idea. And so I said, what one thing could I do to make a difference? And I didn't hear a voice, but I definitely had an idea that popped into my head. I sat for a minute or two, and an idea was, have a party. And I thought, party? This particular friend who's ill, she's she loves parties. She gives a party every Christmas and we all go and play games and eat food. And um, She's just a great party girl. She loves it. And so I thought, party? But she can't eat. And uh, So I had a little conversation with God and God said, a tea party. She can drink tea. <laughs> so I decided I would give a tea party. And Well and true, her husband said she'd love it when I contacted him. And the next week, everybody came for a tea party. And uh, it was lovely because she came and she could talk to us and everybody supported her and the men were all out in the garden. The girls all came and the girls were all inside and the men were all out in the garden, you know, chatting to him and getting alongside him and, you know, helping and being, you know, just being blokes together. And, um, And afterwards... Three people came to me and said, that is exactly, that was exactly the right thing to do. It was exactly the right thing to do. Um, it made a difference, I think, because everybody connected with her when she'd retreated because she was in shell shock. And um, I hope it brought some love. I hope we could tell her that we loved her and that we cared about her. Um, that's really all I've got to say, I think except that maybe in the morning when you pray, you could say to God, what one thing I, could I do today that would make a difference? If you're brave enough. <laughs> Thank you, Margaret, very much. <clears throat> and and that, that's it, isn't it? The, the courage just to step outside what we might see to be the norm. Because we hear a whisper. And God does beautiful things as we respond to the whisper uh, in our lives. Uh, And in a sense, this whole series has been about just building that sense of quiet yet strong confidence. That we don't need to hide away with our faith. We don't need to hide away with uh, the things that we feel that God whispers to us in our hearts, but when we step out into those things that he's asking of us, uh, beautiful things happen. And sometimes it's not necessarily the loud and the noisy things, but it's the quiet, peaceful things where the Spirit of God is at uh, work. Be encouraged. If there's a, a whisper in your life right now, and for two pins... You could let that little voice slip away. You with me? You could just let it drift to the back of your mind until it's gone. Maybe uh, hearing Margaret this morning will encourage you and inspire you uh, to bring that little whisper of God to uh, the front. We're going to hear about Mark's exploits uh, next Sunday. So you can, you can turn around, just embarrass him, turn around and look at him, stare at him. He's back, larger than life, slightly browner than when he went. And yeah, give him a cheer as well. <clears throat> So next Sunday, we'll catch up on, uh, on his news from uh, the Bahamas and helping out with Samaritan's Purse's dart uh, 
relief team there. We're coming into land with this Sunday and next Sunday, bringing this whole series to a conclusion before we uh, do a few different things. And then Christmas is just the other side of all of that. So in two weeks' time, it's our United service here um, when uh, Phil Knox from the Evangelical Alliance will be preaching. St. Matthew's, Ipswich International Church and Ipswich Community Church will all be with us. We will start at 1030 uh, and uh, do join us here uh, in the normal way, kids groups and all of that. And then the following Sunday will be Remembrance Sunday. Uh, again, a particular service that creates an opportunity for us to invite those, A, for whom remembering the horrors of war is particularly particularly appropriate and poignant. But secondly, an opportunity to invite those who uh, connected perhaps with church years ago, come back to a a more traditional form of church that they might be able to feel comfortable with and engage with. So it's an opportunity in uh, three weeks' time to bring someone to Remembrance uh, Sunday. Outsiders. Easy to feel that way, treated as irrelevant, but no. Not outsiders, Peter is saying, to these Christians that feel under pressure, that feel marginalized, that are being persecuted for their faith. Not outsiders, but outliers. Um, Some years ago, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. Anyone read his book? One, two, great Tell us about it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, outliers. And, and he was looking at, at people who were outliers. In other words, people who lived outside the normal range, i.e. they achieved something greater than perhaps the rest of us. There are those people who seem to make a head and shoulders contribution to uh, the world in one way or another. Uh, They're head and shoulders better at sport or at technology or whatever. So people would reach for names like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs in the technical arena. In the charity arena, people would reach for the name of Mother Teresa. In the musical arena, people would uh, reach to that uh, young lad from Framlingham, whose name escapes me. No, Ed Sheeran. These people who just seem to be so much better, is it? That's the question he was asking. So much better than all the others. And, and in his book, he analyzes those who became truly great, be it uh, in sport or arts or whatever it is. What were the factors that created that uh, greatness? And uh, he concluded, and this is a, a very crass summary of the book, he concluded that that one people needed to be talented. There needed to be some innate talent, some natural skill, but that by itself was never going to be enough. In fact, he would argue that there were some people who had a greater natural skill than some of the people that we go on to speak of as being outliers, head and shoulders over others. Because not only did you need natural skill, secondly, you needed opportunity, a unique set of circumstances that enabled you to uh, develop your gift and your talent and to uh, become uh, well-known, if you like, on a more public uh, stage. And the third thing that separated out those who became truly great from the others was not just that they had a certain level of natural talent or that they had opportunity, but also that they worked very hard at it. And you might have heard, this is where it came from, the 10,000 hours 
You know, if you practice for 10,000 hours, you'll be as good as David Abbott. That, that level of, you've got to go for it, you know? And those three things combined create outliers, people that stand out from uh, the crowd. And as I was way back reflecting on this series and so on, it it strikes me that in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, I know you've got your finger in chapter 5, but in chapter 1 of 1 Peter where he introduces the letter, he, he hones in on those three very things. He talks about the people of God being uniquely talented or uniquely gifted because we've been chosen and have the Spirit of God in us. So verse 1 of chapter 1 to God's elect who've been, verse 2, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God to have what? The sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus. Grace and peace be yours. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us new birth into a living hope. In other words, there is something innate in us, we have a gift, a skill, a talent, a contribution that's in all of us that has come from the gift of God that's living within you and me. What Peter is trying to say is that the world needs us. Just like the world might have needed a Steve Jobs or a Mother Teresa or an Ed Sheeran, the world needs us. Not only a unique talent, but a unique opportunity. Look what he says at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, your, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, we have a unique opportunity in this world, this current present trial gives us a unique opportunity. This is our time to shine. So we have both the talent and the opportunity. What was the third thing? The hard, the 10,000 hours. Verse 13. Of chapter 1, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope, as in get to it, focus on it, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, 10,000 hours, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy, be different, be set apart, cultivate your differentness, be holy because I am holy. So that's how he began the chapter. He could have written outliers a couple of thousand years ago and said those who are going to make a massive contribution which is God's calling on our lives will be those who acknowledge that something in us is true. We have the Spirit of God, a new birth in us. We are a gift to the world because of what Christ has given us. And the darkness of this world is not a moment for us to hide away, but the darkness, the struggles, the suffering of this world is an opportunity for us to respond. And if we commit to it as obedient followers of Christ, we will become outliers, those who make a transforming difference in the world. 
And tea parties can make a transforming difference in people's lives. The simple acts of kindness. The right word in the right way at the right time. And now in this final chapter of 1 Peter chapter, uh, of 1 Peter 5, uh, sorry, now, now chapter 5, the final chapter of the, this letter, 1 Peter. He's wrapping it all up and drawing some of the principles that have been woven through the book. He's addressing elders. Now, we're not going to get into the, uh, the, what, what elders should be or could be in the church uh, today. It's easy for us to think very organizationally when we hear about elders, especially if you've been in a church where those who lead have been called elders. Uh, the church in that day was in houses and it was way more relational than it was ever organizational. Elders were those who were elder, who were carrying the levels of responsibility for the people. You know in any environment those who are really in charge, don't you? doesn't matter what the labels are, they just are those people. And there were these people that were taking responsibility, whatever the label might have been. So, so whoever you are who takes responsibility, and ultimately that should be all of us. So this is talking about leaders and elders and trustees and community leaders. But it's also talking to all of us because we all take responsibility for the kingdom of God and for the growth of the church. So in these verses we see the outliers principle. It's a kingdom principle. And Peter comes back to it at the end of this letter. If we are going to be those that really step out in the way that we are invited to in this letter, then we will need to embrace the outliers principle, the kingdom principle, the discipleship principle. First, the cross, then the crown. I'd like the crown now. First. Wouldn't you? And the rest of you are quiet because you're quite chilled about the cross. It's a, it's a kingdom principle. But I want the crown. You see, I want the prize. I'd like the prize now. When my dad used to say, wait, I didn't like that. Any more than my kids like it when I say, wait. How about we wait for... Hmm. I don't want to Wait. I want the blessing, and when do I want it? Now. You get any idea. But there is this enduring principle. The cross, then the crown. The resurrection only after Good Friday. The heavenly glory only after the struggle of earth. But I want the applause, the results, the glory now, but it comes by way of the cross. And it is kind of weird that Peter should, should talk about himself as being a witness to the cross. And that's what underlines, I think, the principle here. You see, Peter was one of the first apostles and he was uh, a witness to the resurrection. And it was the fact that he was a witness to the resurrection that authenticated him as an apostle. He was able to say to people, now look, you really should listen to me because I'm one of the original dudes. I was there when Jesus was raised from the dead. But he says, no, I'm a witness to Christ's suffering. I'm a witness to the cross. 
So he starts with the cross, but notice where he ends up in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. He starts with the cross and he ends with the crown. And you may remember that that's a principle that Peter has been establishing through the whole of the book. You might remember some uh, weeks, in fact it was a couple of months ago now, just before the summer, we were looking at the verses all around submission about wives submitting and and submitting to your employees and everybody else submitting here, there and uh, and everywhere. And we're trying to understand them. And we were able to see that, that what Peter was talking about in those verses was just part of a wider principle of cross then crown. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you want the crown, the glory, the blessing, the fruit, it involves the cross. What's the cross? The cross is the place where I lay down my own agenda. Not your will, said Jesus. No, sorry, not my will, but yours be done. The cross is the place where I set aside my rights and my preferences and my Hopes and dreams and desires. The cross is the place where I lose my life. Where in one sense everything dies. I guess it's no surprise. Because it's a scandal and it still is. And we find it hard to get our heads around it. I guess it's no surprise that the earliest hymn, the earliest song that they used to sing, we find in Philippians chapter 2. You might want to flick there, but you don't need to. Um, I'd show you on the screen, but I can't. So um, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, about verse 5, these familiar words. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The kenosis, the self-emptying of God, the giving up, the losing of life. And then it says, therefore, what happened? God exalted him to the highest place. The cross leads to the crown. That's the way it works. Not just uniquely in Jesus' life, but it's the principle of the way things are in God's kingdom. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So, question. Where are you seeking the crown, but have not yet gone the way of the cross? So, in this relationship, parent, children, marriage, friendship, neighbor, I want the blessing. I want the fruit. But I haven't yet gone the way of the cross. In your job, with your finances, within your community, particular project that you're working on? Are you seeking the crown by another route? 
What do I need to lay aside? What do I need to deny? What am I, what am I called to give up? What is the way of the cross for me in this situation, whatever it is that's in the forefront of your mind? Whatever else the way of the cross is, it's the way of humility and vulnerability, it's the way of giving up control, it's the way of sacrifice, the way of laying aside preferences. And we'll come back to this in a few moments. Because it's a radical way to live, isn't it? But what is the way of the cross where I'm at the moment just seeking the crown? To embrace that challenge, we need to adopt the outlier's posture. The outlier's posture is this. To live in the light of the when. To live in the light of the when. But when the chief shepherd appears, not if, but when you will receive the crown of glory. We are to live in the light of the when. To live each moment as if this is the moment that he is coming. To live each day as this is the final day and glory awaits. What changes would you make today if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight? Why don't you share with the person next to you what's in your head right now? What, would, what changes would you make today? What would become more urgent? Think about priorities and think about perspective. How would your perspective on today change if he was coming today? How would your priorities for today change if you knew he was coming? And for goodness sake, some of you, smarten yourselves up. What, what would it be? Donald would get a haircut. That's a really great idea, Donald. Uh, get them to give it a shine as well. <clears throat> Come on, let's keep this real. It's a hard thing, but let's lean into what the Spirit might be saying to us. So perhaps we're, we're thinking about how our, how our perspective changes. Suddenly what seems like a stretch of time becomes focus for us. That, that in turn affects the way we think about our priorities. Helps us think in terms of, of what's important to us and, and what uh, difference that we want to make, what legacy we want to uh, leave. I still come back to that um, uh, to, to that series that we did, that trying to think about what it means to live in the light of Jesus coming. What difference does it make today? What would we choose not to put off until tomorrow? There's a, a lovely verse that brings all these ideas of crown and, and, um, and longing for God's appearance. It's like, it's like the book was written by the same person, the whole book, I mean. Have you noticed that? Notice how the Bible just seems to join up like someone was looking after the whole thing. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who long. Long for his appearing. How much do you long uh, for his appearing? How much do you, do you long to live in the light of his coming? I don't know where this phrase came from, but I, I kind of, we kind of grew up with it in our consciousness. Um, you can be so heavily minded to be of no earthly good. Have you found people so heavily minded they're of absolute uselessness on earth? You think it's changed? You think that's a generational thing? Yeah, I think uh, maybe we're going back, and maybe there's a, there was a, we were we were so into our ideas and our knowledge that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this about this very um, issue: a, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. The outlier's posture. To live with that sense of when. To let the reality of his coming overshadow our perspectives and our priorities, which leads to the outlier's practice. And I think Peter very helpfully sums up a few of these. What, what does it mean? How does this get worked out in my ordinary everyday life? Live willingly or generously or openly. Live <clears throat> willingly, not because you must, but because you are willing. This is a way of life we get to do. This is not what we should do or ought to do or must do, even though those things might be true. Over and above that, something that transcends all that sense of ought and duty is this is the life we get to live. To be those who make a difference. To be those who bring about change. To be those who create the presence. Remember it was talking in chapter 2 about um, little communities of, of people, uh, uh, a kingdom of priests, a, a spiritual household, communities. We get the privilege of being able to embody the presence of Jesus so that people can meet him. This is what we get to do. And also in these verses, don't just live willingly, but live eagerly. Eager to serve. Are you eager to serve? Are you the first in the queue when it comes to serving? Not for gain, when we think we might get something back. Are you serving when you know that you are not going to get anything back ever? I don't know about you, but I think 
because this is true for me, that somewhere in our motives, we're looking for something back. You with me? Somewhere deep down, I think, well, surely something good will come out of this. For me? Because it's all about me? Where are we serving eagerly? Just because. Just because that's the way that blesses and changes and transforms the world. We all know the 80-20 thing, don't we? Where 20 people seem to do everything, uh, well, the 80 people seem to watch. Don't be in the 80%. And it's not just a church thing, is it? We used to, always used to make me smile at, at the end of an assembly on a Friday afternoon. We don't have kids in primary school anymore. Yes! Which means we don't have to go to a primary school assembly ever again, I hope. Yes! Some grandkids, yeah, I'm not going, I've done that. Honest. And then at the end, there's like the same few people clearing everything up. Well, everybody just stands around. I don't think the other people are, are kind of trying to be rude or selfish. They just don't see yet. Lord, open my eyes. That's a blind spot right there, isn't it? And do you know what? When you spot someone else's blind spot, do you know what that should remind you? That you've got a massive one too. You just can't see where it is. So don't be hard on the 80% who just stand around looking around as if there's nothing to do when a few of you are running yourselves ragged. They just can't see it yet. So instead of getting cross with them, ask God to open your own eyes for what you don't yet see. But are we serving eagerly? Because that's what outliers do. Outliers do the 10,000 hours. Outliers go, this is worth it and I'm in because God's placed something unique in me and this is our time to shine. So we're on it in the name of Jesus and live lovingly. Don't lord it over those. In, don't, don't speak down on people. Don't be above people. That's what the Gentiles do and it's not the kingdom way, Jesus said. But be examples to the flock and I guess to be examples, you need to live openly. What kind of an example are you today? And where are you being that example? Where do people see? Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and do what? And praise your Father in heaven. That's the miracle of what happens. Let your light shine before men. that They may see your good works and say, what a great person they are. No. Something about that good work in Jesus' name points them to the God they desperately need. And so we live generously and openly and willingly and eagerly and lovingly, whatever adjectives you want to use that Peter is using there, and we might add our own. The impact of outliers is off the charts. That's why they're called outliers. And do you know what? That's what we get to do. That's what we get to do. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the uh, amazing truths that one Peter brings to us that brought to those first Christians who were feeling stressed out and marginalized and persecuted. And through Peter, you reminded them that something incredible is inside of them, the gift of God. 
That they have been given a new birth into an amazing hope that will never spoil or fade. That they are already part of another eternal country, another kingdom that will transcend this one in every way. Thank you for that great hope that we share today. Thank you that we are alive in Christ today and nothing and no one can take that from us. Thank you that we are yours and you are ours and you'll be with us to the end of the age itself. And so we choose these moments, these days to seize the opportunity. It's our time to shine. It's our time to step out. It's our time to make a difference. The darkness simply becomes a canvas against which you can shine your light even brighter in and through our lives. So help us to adopt the posture of living in the light of the when, that we might live willingly and lovingly and generously and openly, setting an example that many might see and praise our Father in heaven.